Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. I like the smooth and sensual way you whispered your name right there. <laughs> it's wintertime, baby. Let's warm up by the fire. <laughs> Jesus. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to experience workplace harassment. <laughs> For our second installment of Winter Wonderland, it's brave new day. The sun is high. The birds are singing that you're... Wait, never mind. This isn't the Spider-Man with Neil Patrick Harris. Anyway, on to Amazing Spider-Man 555 through 550. Seven, not 556. I don't know why I remember this being a two-part. This is definitely a three-part story. It's written by Zeb Wells, penciled by Chris Bacolo, inked by Tim Townsend, colored by Antonio Fabella and Chris Bacolo, and lettered by Corey Petit. Or Petit? Petit? I'm not sure. One of those three. Matt, why don't you tell us, speaking of three, the four ways that you can own this. <laughs> All right. So you can grab this off of Comixology for uh, two buckaroos a piece, which is standard. It's on Unlimited. It is a bit more costly in those physical issues than other arcs from Brand New Day around this point, being at $4 an issue, whereas around it, it's like 2 to $3. So interestingly enough, a little, uh, little rare, but not so rare. Also, this is how I have it collected, which is in trade. Well, in my case, hardback. Uh, for Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2 of Brand New Day, Spider-Man Brand New Day, the complete collection as it is listed. So look for those Brand New Day trades at number two. The the trade's about five, the hardcover's about ten, which is way cheaper than when I bought it way, way back with my Barnes & Noble hardcover discount, which was at in the day cheaper than getting the soft cover. And this was my way of getting back into Spider-Man after the arc that shall not be named. <laughs> Oh, but it shall, because we're going to be talking about it with this context. So, um, backing up just just a just a brief second, when you said it was on Unlimited, that is Marvel Unlimited, not Comixology Unlimited, which are two different services. I feel like one of them, probably Comixology, because it came second, should maybe do something about branding, but whatever. Anyway, brand new day. Uh, in case you don't know, bless you. Um... But there was this story called One More Day where Spider-Man sold his marriage to Satan. Um, you might have heard about it in our theme song. <laughs> yeah, you might have heard about it in our theme song. But more or less what happened was there was a giant reset button. No one knows Spider-Man's secret identity. He's back to being broke. He has, Right now he's living with Aunt May, but soon he'll have roommates, uh, which starts in this issue, actually. And there you go. It's, it's you know, if you are familiar with the concept of Spider-Man, if you've seen any of the movies, you, you you know, you've got enough backgrounds. The only real difference is that Mary Jane is not a presence in these stories. So with that, we are moving on to Amazing Spider-Man. Sometimes it snows in April. So uh, this one starts out with the great plot hook of Peter tra uh, transversing a blizzard so he can get some quote unquote fun cereal from the Avengers hideout, which is currently in the Sanctum Sanctorium, a.k.a. the pad, the bachelor pad of uh, Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess I guess cereal, you know, getting getting that that fruit loot. Or I'm sorry, fruit loot 
cereal. Um, you know, risking hypothermia, it's, it's, it's worth it. I don't, know, I don't know if you're a big cereal eater, Matt, but uh, I'm, I'm actually not huge on cereal. I mean, you, this is a point where Peter's supposed to be relatively broke, but it feels like owning a box of cereal is kind of a broke way to eat food. A little, little odd, but yeah, he's, he's going through that blizzard for it, and he gets into a lovely conversation with Wolverine, who's having a beer for breakfast. <laughs> you know, your favorite two characters, kids. <laughs> um, but like... the this is the enjoyable little little barbs that they kind of throw at each other where Wolverine is kind of chiding uh, Spider-Man for kind of being Spider-Man and Spider-Man goes, you know, returns the barbs by saying, well, you know, beer for breakfast, you're not really breaking any Canadian stereotypes, which uh, sometimes I, I, I feel like the Canadian stereotype that's in current vogue is moved away from uh the kind of drunk hockey canuck and on to like the overly polite and uh, like uh canadian kind of thing so it, it took me for like a, a split second to make that connection um i promised myself i wasn't going to be making any more references to movies but like you know strange brews it, it took a second for it to to come back to me i'm like ah there we go that's 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 the stereotype he's talking about <laughs> So, while they're having their Barbie breakfast, uh, Doctor Strange comes down from his bedroom, I guess, but he, however this works. Yeah, he, like, astral project. Like, he does the Doctor Strange thing, where he just, like, kind of pops in from nowhere. He's like, hey, I'm doing magic stuff. Um, Spider-Man calls him out on it, and, and you, you want to you wanna take this? I, I mean, Spider-Man just asks him, basically, when the weather's gonna let up. <laughs> And it becomes this whole mystic mumbo jumbo scene. And Wolverine points out, great, this is a good use of his time. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, like Sunday or something. Like it becomes this whole deal. And then they find that the blizzard isn't naturally sourced. I, I, right. However you, you refer to it, because that's not that's not in the meteorology textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the setup for this issue is that Spider-Man is hanging out in Doctor Strange's bachelor pad, eating his cereal. Strange comes down and Spider-Man asks him, hey, when's the weather going to let up? Uh, Strange uses his Sor Sorcerer Supreme powers to uh, to do like a divination and see when the weather's going to come out. And then gets like attacked by the magical backlash of like discovering that this is actually a like the 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 machinations of some sort of deity and is down for the count and wong kind of like scolds spider-man is like this is why you don't ask for questions you know people who have knowledge of the infinite random questions you never know when when it just comes to bite you because the answer is a lot bigger than you were expecting um so it, it's it's a funny kind of and not like we're laughing describing it and because i i think it's it's a little funnier in in premise than how it's presented even though it is still presented in kind of a humorous way but they do play it somewhat straight like we are supposed to take that this is a a credible threat that strange saw rather than like goofy hijinks well i mean it's funny but i mean the characters do have to deal with it but for us this is like a goofy but set up for spider-man to effectively fight a mayan god which is what, like, goofy too yeah i mean like it, it's it's definitely you know in the i i beat uh fire lord in a uh you know one-on-one -on -one match kind of punching above his weight class but uh we'll, we'll get to that later we'll get you know that's, that's jumping way to that's jumping to the end of the story 
so yeah yeah so we we get that set up and then the rest of the issue is just a a solid wolverine team up um you know you hit all those beats with your wolverine team up uh spider-man goes into the blizzard uh well i'm sorry i'm, I'm there's the the setup with the daily bugle oh, i'm sorry the db yeah dexter bennett's paper now but it's not much of a setup it's just uh uh he's sending peter out into the cold to go get some shots and you know. there there is one thing one one scene i wanted to talk about where oh, okay. where peter's walking in and betty brant comments that oh like you didn't really bundle up is that how you're gonna keep warm because peter's only wearing like a a, a sport like he's wearing a like a a, a um, yankees jacket but Betty, as she's drawn by Bacalo, is wearing a mini skirt and like a little like three quarter blouse, uh, three quarter sleeve blouse. So, uh, you know, it, it was it was just a funny little disconnect between the uh, the art and and the script. But always, well, I mean, she's working the office. She's staying inside where it's nice and cozy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess I guess Bennett might be a little bit more inclined to run the heat uh, than Jameson. I, I could definitely see Jameson as someone who, who, like, constantly puffing the cigars so it keeps him warm and then just refusing to turn on uh, the therm- thermostat and guarding it jealously. Yeah, that sounds like Jameson. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, so yeah, now we're getting to the Wolverine team-up spot. Um, and <laughs> uh... Uh, I mean, so Spider-Man goes to this, there's a designated um, intersection at a designated time where they're supposed to find out a bit more. And Spider-Man's waiting for Wolverine to show up when things start going down. These kind of crazy looking guys start causing a ruckus and he starts dealing with them. And then Wolverine pops out. He's like, I was just waiting for you to draw them out. And I don't know, even as a reader, it's like, really? (laughs) There's basically no point for you to be here now. (laughs) Well, no, Wolverine had to selflessly take the arrow to the wrist and so that Spider-Man, who, you know, can move faster than bullets, wouldn't get it or could, whatever. Um, But like I said, you know, you you get your standard Wolverine team up bits. Wolverine's kind of a jerk. They have a they have a brief, brief moment where Wolverine's like, all right, I'm about to execute this guy. And Spider-Man's like, now, tut tut, Wolverine, we don't kill on this team up, Logan. And, uh... Which is weird at this point, because this is well past Logan being Berserker Rage and well into his more... Uh, Cuddly teddy bear. Well-established years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, part of this is the Brand New Day was about back to basics and to, like, the core idea of the characters maybe a few years past their establishment. So I, I feel like that kind of also extends to maybe some of the support cast for these team-ups where... You know, if you're not reading Wolverine, which at this point I think everyone was still reading Wolverine because it was Wolverine, um, whatever. But I, I, it, it didn't bother me. I'm also not a huge X-Men guy, so that that point, uh, that nuance was lost on me. It's just a weird era for them to be doing this with them because this was in the period where Wolverine along with the X-Men were getting a new status quo every few years and Wolverine is well into being more the established favorite guy than Cyclops and he's on the Avengers and he's doing his own thing and if he's doing the dark ops stuff it's 
hush hush so it's it's a weird moment for me knowing a bit more of the character at the moment but what's even weirder to me is that after chiding spider-man for not being much of a team player and all this other stuff wolverine's there for a few pages and buggers off and that's it he's gone he, he, he showed up for a brawl but the situation situation's resolved and he's done yeah, I, w- I was actually surprised that the team up didn't last through the whole arc because, you know, reading later, I, I <laughs> even just asked, like, hey, where did Wolverine go? And I had to, like, flip back to see, oh, I guess I guess he did say his goodbyes and depart at the end of 555. So there we go. Yeah. Um, we open up on 556 with Jameson in the hospital after his, I believe, second heart attack. Second heart attack. And and I mean, this is this is kind of a storyline that was threaded through a lot of these uh, brand new day stories. It was kind of like the B or even the C plot, depending on the uh, the arc. But uh, and I, I neglected to talk about that in the, the context. But essentially, Jameson lost the, the bugle. There was a hostile takeover by dexter bennett who renamed it the db and turned it more into a uh like um celebrity gossip rag like a tabloid a true tabloid rather than jameson's bugle which was maybe biased but did have like hard hard news pieces and you see a little bit about this where like there there's some background chatter in in some of the, the db scenes of like Betty Brant complaining that her piece on Lily Hollister, which is the other big through line through Brand New Day, getting moved to page six, um, which tip and that that would have been a big story because she was involved with some stuff and she had been she attached to Harry Osborne, blanked on the name for a second, and anyway, um, so so yeah, so Jameson has his heart attack and and this is what eventually moves him. Uh, positions him to the point where he becomes mayor and stays mayor for a very long time um but for now he's just a guy in a hospital gown trying to trounce out into the blizzard without even socks on so that he can go try to reclaim his paper and the nurses have to like wrestle him back <laughs> to the hospital it's it's another it's another funny scene um you know like this is this is a comic that's that's filled with like some good laughs um it it, it but it balances out the drama, or at least the seriousness of the uh, the story. Well, um, I, I feel like either either side uh, doesn't really detract from the other. Did Did you feel the same way? Like, did you feel like this was a particularly funny story? I mean, there's definitely some good beats, but it really balances the drama to the humor to the suspense. Like, well, it's just a darn good arc with fun parts all around. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah, but no, there's some yucks. <laughs> And then we move into the police station where Spider-Man in the last issue dropped off those Mayan ninjas that he and Wolverine fought along with uh, Professor Benjamin Rabin, who these ninjas were kind of like hunting down. And Rabin then dumps a big old exposition uh, dump that sets up the rest of the issue and essentially he's he's a mathematician that was working on the Mayan calendar and essentially using like algorithms and stuff math words he was able to come up with these formulas and and really kind of study the way that Mayan saw math and the Mayan calendar and the way they used math to communicate with the divine and we understand that there was there was an attempt to kind of like resurrect a Mayan god and they were going to be sacrifices and 
that the rest of his team was in a uh, in a van, and so Spider Man has to go rescue the team because it's so cold they can't just yeah yeah yeah. This is in the middle of a huge freak blizzard, obviously. Right, by an inspired blizzard. Yes. Find. But what's also interesting about that is this came out a uh, two thousand eight ish, which is right around when people started talking about the next new fun end of the world, which is going to be at the end of the Mayan calendar. Twenty twelve, baby. Twenty twelve. Man, I love that end of the world. weren't you there? It was great. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been through a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I th- this was playing off some, I, I guess. I don't know if I'd really even call it tension or anything. Hype. Some buzz. At the some time. hype. Yeah. You know, <laughs> people excited for the end of the world. <laughs> but so Spider-Man goes out to find these guys and stumbles upon this uh, homeless guy, Vern, who's ranting about S.H.I.E.L.D. They kind of have like a moment together. Spider-Man warms up by his signature barrel fire. Um, and, you know, they, 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 they chat, they, they kind of have a moment. Spider-Man tries to steal his jacket, then realizes that, hey, maybe this guy needs a jacket whoa, too. Whoa, whoa. In Spider-Man's defense, that was his jacket that got jacked. And then Spider-Man ultimately says, no, nah, you know, you have the jacket. My mistake, you know, wasn't mine. It wasn't like he was just trying to take the jacket off a homeless okay, guy. Okay, so what happens was that Spider-Man lost his civilian clothes in the Mayan ninja fight. And apparently off-panel, Vern found found the jacket and put it on. So Spider-Man busts into this homeless man's camp, steals his fire, then, or steals warmth from his fire. And then as he's leaving, he's like, oh, hey, wait a moment. That's my jacket. Pulls it off the guy and then has, um, you know, for a moment and then puts it back, says, no, never mind. You need it. I mean, what a menace. What a menace. He essentially breaks into this man's home, steals his clothes, and then decides that he's gonna, you know, give it back like he's like like it's some sort of like grand gesture of kindness. Hey, so Vern helps out Spider-Man by stuffing his suit with trash. <laughs> yes, so um It's all the uh, copies of the DB and they talk about how the new glossy ads actually provide more. <laughs> But so we get we get this visual that eventually I guess Backlow gets tired of drawing because uh, it goes away. But for a few panels, Spider Man is like stuffed, like uh, Ralphie in the Christmas Story, just like can't move his arms and just kind of waddling down the street because his web sh- it's too cold for his web shooters to work. Uh, and again, we get like a funny silly visual. Uh, juxtaposed with uh, when Spider-Man discovers the still alive, most of them, uh, math team of, uh, of yeah, the mathletes of Rabin. They reveal that, oh, he was the one that was actually sacrificing us and the Mayan ninjas saved us. Cut to the uh, police station where... Uh, Rabin has now Rabin goes, <laughs> Rabin goes rabid and has sacrificed one of the Mayans and kidnapped Carly Cooper so he can finish the second sacrifice so that he can merge with this Mayan god who has descended upon New York. Uh, what a setup for our final issue of this story. Yeah, which, I mean, is mostly just this big old slugfest. Oh, and like... I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so we get to it. We get this Mayan god, and he and Spider Man start going after at it. And it's it's such a well rendered fight. It, it like it's it's creative. It's it's so like 
the the Mayan god has like this big old beaten stick. And so Spider-Man picks up a parking meter. So he has his own beating stick. And so not so that he's one up, the Mayan god then shoves his stick into a semi-shruck and just like lifts it with ease. And like it's it's just such a great visual representation of how out of his league Spider-Man is and then immediately just gets smashed over the head with it. Um and so he stands up and he's a little woozy and then like this is might be like one of my favorite pages of like any Spider-Man fight to like showcase the this Mayan god's divinity and how like he's just operates on a level that cannot be conceived. He's able to attack Spider-Man from different panels and it's it's rendered in such an interesting way where each panel is <clears throat> oriented in a different way so you see a different perspective of of the the mayan god but the way he attacks the 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 attacks are oriented from how he's standing in the panel where he's launching the attack it's it's a complicated thing to really describe if you're not looking at it but it's i mean it's it's worth almost the price of admission of just the one issue just so you can see this and really take in just how interesting and creative of an idea that is and how cool it looks on page also spider-man just getting his like stuff handed to him um by this guy well so backing up or maybe not even backing up but i i wanted to talk about the visuals or just how this comic's rendered with baklo being at the wheel for a lot of it because these are my favorite baklo issues that i've seen and this is definitely just a standout story for the art alone um things are just they look so freaking cool the mayan gods this big noisy thing that changes a little bit a lot but is has a consistent look and it's just it's something to try to take in everybody's hair is matted in a way that looks crazy but adds all this texture and what's really cool is all the gutters are these really thick white bars so when you have like what you were saying with the god reaching across the panel and punching out like it it stands out um when you have these slightly bigger slightly thinner uh gutters it becomes a visual cue it it becomes more of a note and it's a way to play with the form in a way that i think really adds something and allows for more variety while having a consistent visual look throughout it it just really added a lot and i don't know did you have any notes on the i mean yeah this is this is great bacalo art uh this is kind of like earlier i guess in his spider-man career this might be this might be the first one he's done i i don't don't quote me on that but uh if not the first one of the first um uh you had mentioned before we started recording that there seemed to be a lot more background work than what we see typically in his stuff nowadays and I'll, i'll agree with that and i think that really helps flesh out um the action just because the 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 colors spider-man really pops against these you know blue gray um kind of snow scenes and we get like the the noisy is how you described uh the god and i think that's a great way to kind of describe a lot of bacalo's art um in in a positive way uh and i i think it really works for this chaos god of death uh he he has both he he uh he claims both titles god of death and god of chaos um and and uh it's just yeah it, it makes for a very visually memorable story and i think again adds to that idea that like this isn't a spider-man guy this is not a guy that spider-man can normally face or fight alone 
uh, just because he's not rendered in that same natural animal kind of looking uh, motif that most Spider-Man villains have. Or even kind of like Freak, who is another Spider-Man villain out of Brand New Day. Like, he still had a more like biologically i guess uh consistent look to him while this this mayan god is there like lines are everywhere the dark shadows bright red lights uh there there's jagged rock or maybe bone on him It, it just it looks very unreal and unnatural and unsettling uh in a great way um so yeah the that's what i think about the art <laughs> And then we basically move to the end of the issue where our hero Vern comes in to save And he's brought some backup. So Vern comes in with his uh, hobo army and they are all armed to the teeth with bottles of of booze and uh, Molotov cocktails. Holiday cheer. What? Oh, holiday cheer. Well, this is this this takes place in April, as the title suggests. Sometimes it snows in April. Uh, (laughs) um, So, so yeah, Vern Vern comes in with the Molotov cocktails, and they they light up this Mayan god who laughs at him and says he's the Lord of Darkness. So I guess that's his third title. And that light does not affect him. But as it was previously established, Spider-Man's web shooters cannot work because it's too cold. But because this guy is now on fire, Spider-Man then just dumps his cartridges onto him, which webs him up in a huge web cocoon that buys them enough time so that the stars unalign and this this Mayan god... Uh, transitions away from our plane foiling the the machinations of professor benjamin rabin who was trying to become divine um so yeah (laughs) you skipped over the greatest i did skip over the greatest line where spider-man muses that the webbing will not be able to hold the mayan god for too long because he is a master of bending both space and time and then Vern pops in and says that he's been to Burning Man a few times and a little spending of space time has never bothered him. <laughs> you know, it's such a corny joke, but it works. Like, I, I admit, like, I, I cracked up reading that. And I, I like, there was a little bit of cringing involved, too, because it is just such a corny joke. But it, it works. It's a very good line. Um, but yeah, we, we end, we end our story. Everyone goes home happy. Uh, Peter, or the, the epilogue is Peter's kind of like walking down the street and sees Vern holding a sign that says like, lost all my booze helping Spider-Man save New York. And, uh, Pete passes him a bullet ridden $20 bill, um, or bullet hole ridden rather. That's, it's not a 20 that's just covered in loose bullets. <laughs> And which is all of his food money for the rest of the month, which means he's going to be back at the Avengers Mansion eating those uh, fruit loops. Well, I mean, how else are you going to kickstart the next story? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the The end. end. So that takes us to the the big question, Matt. Uh, We finished we finished talking about the story. So let's let's talk about it in kind of the larger context of a Spider-Man story. Uh, toward the top of the episode, I kind of mentioned that this this was along the same lines of the that Fire Lord issue where we're we're fighting or where Spider Man's fighting above his weight class, 
how do you how did you feel about like just the the general premise of spider-man fighting like a a mayan god um I like I like that a lot. I like this aspect because so much of Spider-Man, and I know at the end of the day, Spider-Man's a mm-hmm. soap drama, but he's supposed to be a superhero, and he gets so caught up in his own nonsense sometimes that he's not honestly just saving the city enough, it feels like, and this was just him finding a problem and dealing with it because that's mm-hmm. what he does. Admittedly, a bit of deus ex machina with the hobo army, but I... Well, I you cool. know, no, I'm not going to make that... I. I... <laughs> I'm not going to take that shot. I'm not going to. I'm going to rise above it. Even though you said the trigger word, I'm going to rise above it and not mention uh, uh, a particular member of the Brain Trust who is known for employing his uh, deus ex machinas, um, who might have had something to do with that in the story. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you about... Um, how like sometimes especially with the you know coming the the era that we were coming out of where it felt like new york or spider-man wasn't really saving new york spider-man was dealing with you know the the stacy clones or morlin or civil war or beating up the kingpin while he was already in jail or you know he, he was he was deeply invested in his own issues and was kind of neglecting the friendly neighborhood so yeah it was good to see spider-man and, and i mean that, that was the majority of these stories in the brand new day was spider-man going back doing you know um doing kind of or doing the good fight uh i mean we we were trying to we were trying to name the brand new day villains off the top of our head before we recorded this and you know i'm talking i was talking about well you know there was the chameleon and there was the enforcers and hammerhead and i mean there there were just a lot of street level and magia villains uh because there was a bigger focus on bringing him back to the street level and maybe out of his own drama and out of kind of like the avengers stuff as well but eh, you know um yeah yeah so that that was that was good that was interesting um another thing i i we'll we'll we'll, we'll get to that later um so yeah i'd say this one this one felt like a good solid spider-man story but it it felt like it punched up a little bit more so than your average spider-man story just because the art uh i I felt like bakalo was a really good choice with this again going back to just how um menacing i guessed wyop looked wyop being the name of that mayan god we kept not naming Uh, i probably mis mispronounced that maybe way up um but i i mean we, we've talked about the art a little bit, but I, I guess how did you feel about like the art in the story as far as uh, matching its its tone and everything? Like, do, do you feel like the story was elevated because of the art? Oh, definitely. I mean, no question. This is more of an art-driven mm-hmm. comic, these issues. And seeing for it, I, I really think if this was a different artist, these issues wouldn't have had the same impact. But they're a delight to go through for it and you know that's where where comics should be right yes i i think i think you're entirely correct when you say if this was written or if this was drawn by a different artist it wouldn't have the same impact and i'm not saying like and that's not even necessarily like a worse artist but just someone who had a different aesthetic it just it wouldn't it wouldn't feel the same so awesome awesome so it sounds like we're both we're both in agreement here that this is this is a pretty decent spider-man story um 
reissued or untold. Mm-hmm. I would s- see. Okay, so like this is a good fun story. I don't know if it really says a whole lot about Spider-Man or anything. So, uh, you know, looking at our incredibly well-documented and rigorous criteria for reissued or untold, um, you know, the, it's it's a fun issue. I, I would probably say reissued. Uh, you know, it's there's not a lot of continuity tying it down. You know, it, it doesn't it's at the end of the day, it, it's um, what's the word I'm looking for? inessential as far as impact the character has but for a like self-contained story it's a great little romp um you know it might be on the a tad on the silly side at times but other than that i you know i'd say this should be reissued what about you i think you know sometimes it snows in april but this is an ever white story that a spider-man fan can enjoy in any age in any did you read that off like the back of the uh, the trade or what like are you are you are you trying out for the the blurb writer <laughs> I take yeah, it. I mean, I, I I'd also take it. That sounds like a pretty easy job. And I mean, Marvel already did it. I think I, I think they already pulled two blurbs from my reviews on on Superior Spider Talk. So I I already have the work related experience. Um, there we go. There go. So where on this list are we going to slap this? This list being the web of ranking list. The invisible web of rankings that no one can see. Um. Let's see. Uh, I think, you know, in a lot of I, the most similar story I'm seeing on the list right now is Hikimia's That's also where I was looking. Same era, else. like same kind of like, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. I was also looking at Hikimia's castle. Okay. And then um, I guess to push it um, right above it, we have the Sandman Silver Sable team up, which was that mm-hmm. brawl right. issue that we talked about. And this too is a comic where it was really played through a big old fight. Not quite mm-hmm. the same way, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. How, how do you feel about this in relation to the Silver Sable? Team? I feel like that Silver Sable team up it sings a little stronger. Um, you know, on art, look, just looking at the art and the way the fight was rendered, I would probably put this above uh, that the uh, the 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 Silver Sable team up. But what worked so well with that was not only did we have this great fight, which was very competently uh, rendered, but we also had the the script really leaning into that fight hard and really leaning into the the physicality of it and just the 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 wear that it put on the characters here we get a lot of lip service about how cold it is but other than spider-man's webbing not working we don't really see that the visceral nature of of what's what's going on with spider-man it's only delivered in dialogue so i uh for that reason, I would probably put it below that uh, Silver Sa- uh, Silver Sandman team up. The the other reason I think I put it below is there's some inconsistencies with the storytelling and the art. Like we were talking about how he's all compacted with trash, and then that just goes away like a couple pages later. Not really explained. There's some battle damage that kind of goes away, especially between comics and the fact that Wolverine just kind of jaunts off <laughs> in the middle of his team up. Uh, I mean, like yeah, I understand the guy's busy. Like he probably had to be in like Madripoor, you know, by noon, and then had something he had to go do at the X Mansion the uh, you know that night. So you really only had about like 30 minutes you know between so you just like squeeze in a few ninja fights which for wolverine is you know a daily thing like you, you have to you have to have your daily ninja fight if you're wolverine so i, I you know i i can't blame the guy but you're right it, it, it is a little strange 
All right, so I think we found a nice spot for this one. Our new number eight on the list is sometimes it snows in April. Or sometimes it saunas in April. <laughs> <laughs> the key clicked weird. All right. So what are we looking at well, next time? Well, next Katie? time we're looking at Forest Hills, a statue of J. Jonah Jameson, ear wiggling. I mean, that's right. It's Spectacular Spider-Man number 173 through 175, what I have decided to call, which means what we are going to be calling the octopus that stole Christmas. Then we're going to be closing out the block with Tangled Web of Spider-Man number 21, which has a title much better than the octopus that stole Christmas. Twas the fight before Christmas. I'm glad I'm not getting any pushback on the octopus that stole Christmas. Great. Cool. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. <laughs> you can always follow the show on Twitter and Facebook for updates and more, including my corrections when I realize that I'm talking about the wrong movie on, on air. Um, we also have a Patreon, $3.99 a month, grants you access to our Spider-Man B-Title reviews, the Amazing Spider Talks, Amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as the VIP channel on our Slack community, the Amazing Spider Slack. If you want even more goodies, check out the Excelsior tier, $10 a month, gets you commissioned artwork from Spider-Man artists you can't get anywhere else. Twice a year that comes to you. And then if you want even more goodies, $20 a month gets you all of that, plus colored versions of those commissions a few months afterward you know so the colorist has enough time to make their uh, to work their magic if all that is a little too deep for your pockets but you still want to support the show somehow we do have a one dollar donation tier which will get you into that vip channel on the slack community and we will give you a digital members only jacket that exists within the space of your mind <laughs> But yes, many ways to support the show. And of course, if you know, you can always give us a like or five star or whatever positive rating you can on whatever podcast listening service of your choice. That, of course, always helps us sometimes even more than the money. But we also like money. <laughs> Special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song, like always. If you want to listen to them, uh, more from them, check out the show notes. And until Matt reaches through the computer to punch me for going off script, make mine untold. I should probably pull up the script too. That, that's important, especially oh, when I'm. Oh, I'm Kane Winston. No, you're not. You're Matthew Dariush. I know the difference. You, whoever you are, are listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. I'm some guy named Vern. You pulled off the street. Uh, I'll later come with an army of people who will chuck Molotov cocktails at you until you leave. <laughs> then give me a bullet-ridden twenty-dollar bill. Um. <laughs> This is all staying in this like this this is all going into the show by the way. We're just we're going to take it from here. <laughs>